are listening to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360. He is Steve, Xbox Live Stevevich, and the forecast has severe lightning storms with a chance of Shazam! In episode 116 today, April 4th, 2019. You know, to get the most out of Joygasm, you want to follow us on your social media choice and YouTube. You just do a search for Joygasm TV. In addition to iTunes and Android, you can listen to our podcast on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.com slash Joygasm TV. No matter which platform you enjoy the show on, we do ask that you please drop us a subscription or a thumbs up, maybe even a review. Why? I'll tell you why. It's because it helps us build awareness, which we appreciate all the freaking time. And a big thank you to those who have done so already. We have a fun show planned for you today. Gaming news includes layoffs at EA Games and a Kotaku article that reveals how Anthem went wrong, which is just causing an absolute ripple through the entire gaming industry. Movie news is dedicated to the new Joker trailer that dropped earlier this week. And in case you couldn't tell from my opener, our topic of the day is the Shazam movie review, which you can fast forward to if you look at the timestamps located in this episode's detailed section of iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, etc. Otherwise, if it tickles your fancy, just keep on listening. Steve, it looks like you're rubbing that eyeball real good over there. Ah, feels great. Hmm. Was it nice and juicy? Was it we kind of getting all the eyeball uh, juices out of the way? Eyeball lubrication. <laughs> I should have just like put the microphone right up to my eyeballs so you can hear the. <laughs> yeah. You should have. I can't believe this week has come and gone. I mean, it just got started, and uh, now it's at an end. At a blink of an eye, and a Shazam! It's gone. That's right. And a blink of a Shazam. Shazam? Shazam. Oh, he's rubbing it again. Oh, I'm going to be rubbing it all night, Russ. Yeah, it might have some pink eye over there, Steve. Yeah, if I do, it's from the theater. Ooh. No, I, you you know, I don't think it would be, because the theater is very clean. Mm-hmm. It's very well-maintained. Which is more than I can say for some other theaters I've been to in the past. Yes. What is going on with you, my bald and beautiful brother? Well, Russ, you know, no, I don't a, know. It's uh, it's been a good week. You know, I've haven't played too much stuff. Uh, I've been playing Anthem. I put it back in as well. You should. But I've been Jack Bowering it through season five. Yeah. How far are you? I am on the second disc. I think I, I <laughs> out think, of six. Yeah, <laughs> I remember those those seasons had quite a few discs. Yes, they do, Russ. There's 24 episodes. So, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's good. We have we have Samwise Gamgee in this one. I remember that one. Yes, yes. No, you don't, Russ. Don't lie. Sean Astin manages to make his way into quite a few different TV shows. If you noticed. He was also in Stranger Things. Was he? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, I remember that. Uh-huh. Yeah, talked about that. Mm. Anyhow, no, so I the only thing I've been getting from Netflix was uh, was has been that. Mm-hmm. So I watched that before I go to bed and get myself all pumped up and then try and settle down. I see. 
<laughs> yeah. Nothing says go to bed like watching a few episodes of 24, you know? <laughs> oh, man. No, it was good, though. It was good. No, but, uh, you know, it's it's that's pretty basically what I've been up to. I still got to put in Resident Evil. I still got to put in um, Assassin's Creed. And I still have to. You know what? You When are you coming over to watch another movie, Russ? That's a very good question. It all depends on when you're going to invite me back over, Steve. Well, I do have uh, Avengers Infinity War, which we've got to watch before. Steve, I have Endgame Avengers Infinity War here as well. Whatever. And in fact, I got before you did. <laughs> I pre-ordered that sucker on Xbox Live. That's nice. So it's good that no matter where we are, we can watch it. <laughs> but we are going to need to watch it before... That's what Endgame. I was about to say before you cut me off. That's okay, though. You know, Steve, what? there is a movie theater in our neck of the woods that is showing the Avengers Endgame. No, I'm sorry. Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> really? Yeah. There's a theater that's going to show the it. Infinity and Endgame. It's like, you know, guys, you could have picked a word that didn't sound so similar. But anyway, of course, they're going to be doing the whole thing where, oh, now he's rubbing his other eyeball. Must be all the dust in this room. I Are you know. blind? Maybe. <laughs> Going blind. Ah, uh, but anyway, in addition to that, Steve, of being able to go to a theater and watch part one before you go to part two, there is another theater that is showing every single solitary Marvel movie ever made. It's literally two days worth of Marvel Cinematic Universe in which you get to just kind of pitch a tent in that theater and just watch all those movies that lead up to Avengers Endgame. I don't think I could actually do that. No, I definitely could not. I'd have a roaring headache. Well, I would just feel too exhausted. Like, I went to the the Christopher Nolan Batman special where they played all three movies when Dark Knight Rises came out. That was probably my cap. When I went to that, I was like, you know what? That was a really fun time. I'm glad I did it. But honestly, I really don't think I could go much farther beyond that. With the MCU, you have over, what, 20 movies? I think there's been 20, yeah. Mm, It's an awful lot of movie watching. (laughs) Not to mention, I'm sure that B.O. would be absolutely uh, palpable. Yeah, I don't know about that, Russ. They have, a I bunch think of that, people who stay in a theater for two days. Well, and I'd hope don't they'd bathe. be clean. I'd hope well, they. Well, how are they going to yeah, clean? What do they do? Know. Give each other sponge baths in their chairs? Well, if you're not sweating all that much, if they have the air, you know, blowing all the time, and they're not just sitting there pumping iron like they were at the gym or something, mm, I'm sure that would know. get some some nasty breath. But it's like a concession stand is for. They're going to get. They're going to get some breaks. That's not going to be like unending sitting there <laughs> 10 oh, minute break. watching it hour after hour well actually i don't think they're gonna get like long breaks they'll probably get like 10 minute like they, intermissions they're, they're gonna get some breaks think about it it's 20 movies that they have to get through uh-huh. in two days each I movie know. averages what two hours some are three just about but it's they're gonna have like health concerns on their hands <laughs> because people, it's not healthy to stay up and, and watch all that, that all those movies all at one, one sitting. Steve, you want to do with me? No, I don't. <laughs> no, don't be that way. Steve, come on. I'll talk to you. No, 
No interest whatsoever? No. Nope. What if I double dared you? <laughs> no. You would not be willing to take that physical challenge? Not a, even if you triple dog dared me, Russ. Mm. What if I just kidnapped you? I'd break out. And uh, use some chloroform. And then you'd wake up in the chair. You'd actually be chained to the chair so you couldn't leave. I'd fall asleep. I'd put toothpicks in your eyelids so I would keep them open. Mm. It'd be a lot of fun. Nice. What else is going on with you, Steve? That's about it, Russ. No, we just watched uh, Gantz Zero. Mm-hmm. Gantz Zero. We did. And uh, so that was fun. That's been about it for me. Yeah, Gantz Zero, we ended up watching for our March bonus Patreon podcast episode. So if you are one of our loyal subscribers, you can go on to patreon.com slash joygasmtv and uh, it's sitting there. Ready and waiting for you. But yeah, um, just uh, at a high level, though, um, I thought the movie was really enjoyable. It was definitely different. But I wasn't anticipating the story to be, you know, kind of like your your typical anime kind of stuff. I was very, very interested in the visuals, and they did not disappoint. So if you have seen it, or even if you haven't seen it, um, it's definitely worth talking about. It's definitely worth checking out. So... I'm trying to think. Let me think here, Steve. Well, I, too, played Anthem, as you well know. We were twitching some more Anthem uh, goodness, even though that game has some issues to it. A lot of issues. I was going to say, and by some, I mean a lot. (laughs) It's just, it's funny how, like, it is still, in my opinion, it's still a fun game to play, although it does have its limits. It has a lot of limits. I mean, pretty much every level looks exactly the same, because it is almost exactly the same. Right. Uh, let's see. You played some Devil May Cry. I did. For an evening. <laughs> you want to play more? Nope. Yeah, you, <laughs> you're really not feeling this DMC5, which nope. is saying something because you are a DMC fan, at least uh, historically speaking. But it's, it seems as though, I don't know if it's just this one game in particular or mm-hmm. if you're just no longer on the DMC train. I think that ship has sailed, Russ. Yeah. Now, I am pleased to report to you, Steve, that my playability skills for Sekiro, Sekiro, excuse me, I always always want to say it the wrong way, they've improved. I've been getting farther. So I'm pretty pretty relieved slash uh, ecstatic about that Uh, because as you bear or bore witness to uh, me, Dying time and time again with that game. Shadows die 500 times <laughs> in one night. Yes, yes. <laughs> now, also, I did manage to buy us Avengers in-game tickets for April 25th. So we will be able to check out the sneak preview night in all its glory, Steve. And what was crazy was that I was on Fandango, which, by the way, we are not sponsored by Fandango in any way, shape, or form, although we will gladly accept that if uh, they ever come knocking. Uh, I was actually on hold for like 35 minutes, which I thought was actually a pretty like nifty move by Fandango because I think that they were anticipating that the servers would probably crash when these tickets went for sale, and they were not mistaken. Case in point, my wife was trying to also book us tickets and she went directly to one of the theater's websites. I think it was like Cinemark or AMC or something. It was probably Cinemark though. And uh, the, the, 
Thanks for that. Oh, sorry. Uh, I, <laughs> I'm really sorry about that, Steve. Um, anyway, she was not able to get through the website. Like she got to the point of being able to try and, and order the tickets, and then her screen just turned white. Hmm. Like the none of the assets could load at all. And uh, whereas Fandango just stayed stable. And so good on them for, for actually anticipating that this kind of thing was going to happen. And um, even though I had to wait a half an hour, I still was able to very uh, gingerly check out and, and secure those tickets. So we are all set for Endgame. And I am thinking it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a, a three-hour movie, just like the first one was. It's going to be beautiful. Be a zombie at work the next day. Well, actually, I'm planning on taking that day off. Oh, well, I, I, I will be a zombie. Yes, you the will. The next day. Yes, you will, Steve. But you will be a, hopefully a satisfied zombie. How can I help you? <laughs> Brains. <laughs> can I get somebody else, please? Yeah. This dude's creeping me out. So anyway, that's about all that's new with me, Steve. Ah, well, moving right along. Well, let's jump into some gaming news. I know we haven't had this in quite a while, so it's kind of nice to be able to return. Now... There are two things here that are actually quite juicy. The first one deals with the EA game layoffs. And so looking at this, EA games laid off 350 employees, which actually you brought to my attention early on. This comes after Activision Blizzard had laid off, I think around 800 employees. And if you think back a little bit farther than that, Telltale games also had layoffs as well. So it's, I don't know. It's it's kind of this this troubling cycle that's going on right now, and I'm not exactly sure what's causing it because I was doing some research, and the in terms of like the stock price and when they have their investor meetings, the profits are still doing really well. Like like they they're, they're breaking old records and doing other things entirely. But what, one of the things I found was that was actually really troubling was the fact that looking at the salaries of the CEOs. It's just, it's ridiculous. I mean, you have CEOs that are making between 28 to $35 million a year base salaries. And it's just amazing to me how you have someone who makes that level of money and they could very easily take a, like a temporary pay cut and be able to, to, to maintain the, the level of, of workforce that they had all this time. Because at that point, when you're making that kind of money, you're not starving. You've got more money than you know what to do with. But the people who are, you're affecting, I mean, you're, you're affecting their livelihood. Not to mention that's your talent. Exactly. That's your raw talent. And it's unfortunate that they have this perspective of thinking how disposable that talent is. I mean, you, ideally, you want to be able to foster that talent, maintain it, let it grow and flourish. And it will produce more and more terrific games for you. What's I th sorry to cut you off. I think one of the uh, the head honchos in that, at Nintendo did just that, where he took like a few million bucks out of his overall yearly salary so he could keep staff on. I forgot. I'll, I'll look at I'll I'll look that up and see who it is. But 
Uh, it was somebody in, in Nintendo. You'd, you'd know the name. I don't. I wouldn't know the name because I'm bad at names, but you would know the name. Sure. This kind of uh, feeds into the second story, which is that um, there is an article by Jason Schreer from Kutaku, who actually I've read now um, a few of his articles, and he is really thorough with just the different articles that he brings to to the, just the, the general mass's attention. His article, I believe, um, is titled How BioWare's Anthem Went Wrong. And um, like I said, it, it's a comprehensive article that peels back the curtain. It offers a glimpse into the chaos at BioWare during the Anthem production. And I'm, I, I kind of put together a bit of a, a Cliff Notes version just of what the article was about because the article itself is... It's actually, it took me about an hour to read. I mean, it's a very, very well thought out article that actually includes quite a bit of stuff. So, um, some interesting thoughts, or not thoughts, but interesting tidbits here. Um, The name, the original name of the game was actually called Beyond. Hmm. Uh, but, but apparently there were like copyright issues or something and it, and it, it forced them to have to go back to their, their list of backup names. And this was literally like, I think like a week before E3 and they had, then so they, they chose Anthem instead. I mean, I personally like Anthem more than beyond, but that's just me. Some other ones I, I picked out here is that, um, even though the game itself was in development for seven years, the final game's real development was 17 months. So that really tells you just how long they were doing R&D with their gameplay mechanics and stuff, but they didn't actually have a working game literally until probably E3. E3. Exactly. And I, I think that that actually is more commonplace than one would like initially realize. Um, there's just a lot of dev cycles where you'll have a certain amount of time that they'll dedicate toward more R&D and, and just... just prototyping out something but there's no actual game in place and then when it comes to crunch mode it's like all of a sudden like everybody like comes together and really starts like pushing hard sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't that's a lot of time for our i mean what the real meat of the game all the programming and the testing and the you know man yeah the article itself referenced 19 developers who worked on the game and they you know again i don't i don't necessarily look at the article as just like the Bible, so to speak. I like, I I look at it as a means to just get a better idea of just kind of what the whole picture looks like. But apparently like there was kind of a, a derogatory look or toward just, just, just the different teams within Bioware. Cause if you recall, Bioware has three different campuses. They have one in Edmonton, one in Austin and, and one in Montreal. And they would always refer to Edmonton as the A team, Austin as the B team, and then Montreal as the C team. And they really did mean, you know, ABC is just like, oh, well, you know, Edmonton's the best. You know, we're, we're, we're the original crew, da 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 you know. Of course, that's going to breed a lot of resentment and um, clashing of, of the studios, that sort of thing. Um, the Frostbite engine, now I've heard stuff about this, but apparently it was a huge pain to work with. How, like, Frostbite, of course, was, was I think, created by DICE, which is also owned by EA, and they use it heavily for their Battlefield franchise. However, it's not a game engine that plays nice with a lot of different ideas when it comes to, to different games. So, but of course, at the time... Um, you know, EA was really pushing this initiative to like have one game engine across all their studios. Yep. Which I mean, I see where they're going 
with that, but at the same time, that can also be problematic because a lot of the studios that they acquired initially had their own game engines that they developed themselves and worked really well for that particular studio. So it is a bit of a mess, but um, yeah. And of course, speaking of EA, there was an EA boss, uh, Patrick Soderlund, who wanted something cool from Bioware. And of course, that just causes panic because all the developers then have to come up with something and he's really putting the pressure on them. Um, on top of that, EA shifted Bioware's best Frostbite engineers over to FIFA since it was one of their moneymakers and the FIFA game was coming out soon. So then, you know, you're in, you're in mid-development for Anthem and then you have your best coders who know Frostbite more intimately getting pulled off and working on FIFA. I mean, you're just seeing the shuffling of assets. EA had to send um, actually a strike team from DICE to, in order to help them make get the game to look better because apparently Patrick saw an earlier uh, version of the game and he was like, this doesn't look pretty enough. Like, like, why doesn't this look good? And they're like, dude, this isn't our game engine. Like, we're trying to figure out how to get this stupid thing to work. And so then they had to call in <laughs> Dice employees, fly him over to Canada and be like, uh, yeah, we need help. So uh, basically it's, it's mismanaged from the top down and... It was a big cluster all the way up until the, like the final year. And so all basically all the bad feelings that we had, like, didn't they play the game or didn't, couldn't they notice this? Why wasn't this happening? All that stuff that should have been happening um, in the first like five years yeah. was not happening until like the very last bit. So pretty much everything that we were talking like with Big Baby Moose about and talking back and forth, all that is true. All the bad stuff is pretty much true. It is. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. I mean, all this stuff is coming to light and it's just, I mean, I think, I think it has more to do with just the it's our gaming instinct. I mean, gamers are not stupid. I think right. that, that that the gaming industry at times, especially with, with publishers like Activision and EA Games, they keep thinking that we're dumb. And it's like, guys, we're actually a very intelligent group. Like, like we can smell when you're trying to take advantage of our good graces. Or you're selling us a ball of wax. Yeah, yeah. But I mean... The, Check this out. The flight mechanic that we love. Right. Apparently, it was yanked out of the game. Right. And then put back in because right. Patrick actually liked it. I mean, that was one of the good things about Patrick watching. It was like he loved the flight mechanic, so they put it back in. Um, <sighs> Which is kind of funny because you can tell there's some limitations in the level. Yeah. And so if they took it out and put it back in, you know that they're... That that the developers are told, okay, make the level so that it's it's ground only. And then they said, okay, make it so that you can fly. And so they kind of have to elevate everything and make you make it be able to fly. And then they, I think they took it out again. So they're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And you can only imagine being in these meetings and going, great job, scrap it, change it. Now we're going to build it this way. All right. You know, yeah. and then what the idea you had before that was a good idea. Okay, now let's do it that way. Okay, let's start over and let's make the level this way again, you know? And you could you could tell because some areas in the map where you, you can fly at a certain altitude and then you get to another area of the map where you're at the same altitude and all of a sudden like the winds get all crazy. Like you can't go that high. You're like, what? That, that part doesn't bother me as much because you have to be able to keep, I mean, you can't just keep going up and up and up and up. Right, you're, but you're, there's gonna, levels that transition like where you're only like 20 feet above the, yeah. you know, like what is going on? Now, one of the other big issues that the article addresses is the fact that the leadership at BioWare did not want to discuss Destiny. Ah, uh, it's horrible. Which is a big no-no because, yeah. like, you know, Destiny is one of the games that actually did this genre correct for the most part. I mean, it had its own issues too, but it has 
learned a lot from its mistakes. And especially, even if it didn't, it's, I mean, to me, it's vital that a company like BioWare, who is making a game that's very much, I mean, that they used to coin it the Destiny Killer. Right. Well, you need to study your competition in order to understand like what they did right and what they did wrong, so that way you can make your product even better. And that's all just marketing again. Oh, the Destiny Killer. Okay, what what about Destiny? We don't know. Yeah. We should make a whole just separate episode to delve into this entire article. Well, I, I'm yeah. There, there's a, there is a lot. I mean, it, it was it was uh, like I said, a f- it was one of my favorite articles to read because it was just so chock full of stuff. I mean, they even had. Corey Gasper, one of the game's lead designers, he passed away during development, and that that left a, a hole in, in um, not only morale but also just you know he, he was probably a, a big part of just the planning for how the game was going to be played and just how things would be laid out and stuff. So um, another thing it talks about is that the performance capture or PCAP uh, did indeed make for like you know just those beautiful animations that we watched and that sort of thing but it came at a cost because booking the performance capture was so expensive the team often had just one shot to get things right which was a difficult proposition when anthem's design was changing so rapidly that's yep. why nothing makes any sense like you're yep. talking to these people and you're like what are you, what are we talking about and then no one cares yeah you just want to skip through it yeah yeah i mean it was just it's just b- b- bizarre, but it makes sense because, like, I know the, the the performance capture software that they were using. That stuff is, I mean, that, that's like bleeding edge technology. That's why they look so good when they were speaking. But I mean, come on, like, the the creative writing wasn't locked in. You didn't have an art lock or design lock. I mean, let's just go with it. Let's just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, we're 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 still playing the beta. We're still playing the beta and they're going to release like updates and fixes and patches depending on how many people complain on whatever. So what we had in the demo was the alpha or whatever you're going to call it. And then we paid 60 bucks to continue playing the beta. Yeah, basically. It's insane. I mean, like here, here's another nugget. The game's one city, which is crazy thing about it too, because you're on this planet and there's literally one city, which is Fort Tarsus. Just a, not even a city, it's just a fort. Yeah, exactly. It was privately instanced so that it could change, of course, for each player based on how much progress they'd made in the story. So the team brought on EA's Motive Studio, which actually used to be, I believe, the Montreal of Bioware that they merged into Motive Studio. <laughs> Their sole purpose was to build the launch bay. And get this, it's a last minute addition to the game where you could hang out and show off your gear to strangers. That's the whole purpose of why the launch bay exists because, because they realized, Oh crap, we have all these parts and people want to be able to like see their, their, their suit. Like they want to be able to run around and show off their suit and stuff. So the primary reason why that launch bay exists is just so you can show off what kind of gear you're rolling with. Right. I mean, that's a huge issue. It's like, wait a minute. And there's aren't hardly any gear to show off. There's more color to show off than actual parts and gear. Yeah, apparently there's another issue too with the employees of Bioware um, taking what's called stress leave. Um, the the, you know, the 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 author was talking about how like they had never heard of stress leave, um, but uh, they were talking to a Bioware developer who also had never heard of it until the end of Andromeda. Um, and I guess it's it's a practice in which Bioware employees would take weeks or even months off 
for their mental health. On Anthem, developer added, this practice just got worse. Quote, I've never heard of people needing to take time off because they were so stressed out. But then that kind of spread like wildfire throughout the team, end quote. I mean, so you just, you have all the stuff going on and, and, and I, I just feel bad for them. It's all bad. It's all bad management. It's all mismanaged. If you, if you leave the creative talent to do what they do best and they're, and they're making executive decisions and going, that's a good idea. What do you guys think? You're all on board. Okay. Let's continue with this. And you're playing it and you're, you're polishing it. Then you got a great product, but from the top down when people making millions of bucks and then let's change this scrap it now let's change it to this scrap it let's change it and then time is going by and now it's crunch time we're like well let's just throw all of our good ideas together and, and sell it I mean of course people are going to be stressed out I mean I can you I, can just, I just can't even imagine what that feeling would, would be like walking into work every day and, and being told you got to do this now and then all of a sudden your ideas are just tossed out and probably ridiculed and meeting after meeting after meeting with, with no decisions, uh, you know, firmly in place. I think someone, I'll, re, I'll look into it. I think someone came in and finally said, no, you do this, you do this, yeah. you do this, you do this, you do this, or else you're all fired and the whole thing's scrapped. Everybody went, oh, okay, uh, look, if we finally have direction, let's go, 100 miles an hour. I bet that's what happened. Yeah, that that is pr pretty much what happened. Is they had someone come in and, and um, do that, but it was it was too little, too late. What, another interesting aspect of this whole thing is that minutes after that, this Kotaku article was published, EA published a canned response that, after reading it, shows they didn't actually read the Kotaku article before responding to it, and the response itself was most likely already created to combat something like this coming out. I mean, it's horrible. Yeah. It just, it's, EA is like pissing their reputation down the tube right now. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's one thing after the next where they just, it's bad business. It's, the, the, you have bad business practices in place and they are not learning their lessons. And it's, it's just the writings on the wall time and time again. I don't know how many more hits they can take on I this. I know. With the Star Wars thing and then this. I mean, I can't wait to see what happens when they walk out on E3. And I mean, people are going to be like doing small golf claps, maybe, you know, and <laughs> probably hearing some boots and this is. Well, and even BioWare has a lot of soul searching to do because now they, they, they have two critical failures. They have Mass Effect Andromeda, which did horrible. I didn't even buy it. I, I could tell. I'm like, no, this is not the Mass Effect that I know and love. And then Anthem, which, I mean, like I, I've, I've said for a while, you know, I see certain things about it that are done really well. Like I see lots of raw talent being executed in the game, but the game as a whole is not finished. It's not done. It needs more time. So it is a bit of a failure in that regard. And... I mean, one last thing I, I, I just plucked out of the article was that, you know, the tomb mission in Anthem, it was designed to throttle player advancement, like exactly like what we were like kind of getting the feeling of like, why is this here? Why is this slowing us down? But it was specifically designed to extend the length of the campaign because the campaign was so short. Yeah. Yeah. Have you read the article yourself? Uh, I know I haven't read it all the way through. I've scanned it. Um, I, I hear the article is like an hour long read. It is. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a very long read. Lots of details in there. Like I said, my, my hat goes off to Jason for, for doing that. It really 
helped confirm a lot of the suspicions that we were talking about and having. And I don't know. I think, I think this is tough because we're both really big Bioware fans. We've really enjoyed the titles that they have come out with in the past. And we have a genuine concern about the future of the company because Bioware, traditionally speaking, I mean, they are one of the best storytellers in video games. And so it's just bizarre how this whole thing was going on. And I just, I can't help but wonder if the, the, the partnership with EA is causing a lot of that friction to take place where EA is more concerned with getting these AAA titles out for their fiscal quarter, as opposed to Bioware, like just doing what it does best and taking the time to do so, that sort of thing. They're all so, about the bottom dollar. Yeah. Yeah, they really are. So we'll, we'll just have to see if they're able to redeem themselves. So segueing over to movie news, we're going to be taking a look at the trailer of the Joker movie that's coming out by Todd Phillips. Have you seen this trailer? I have, Russ. Okay. I figured you probably did. Well, you posted on Facebook and uh, I troll you like a, like a <laughs> mama jamma. You troll so, me yeah. or do you just uh, stalk me? Both. Oh my. I stalk you at work and I troll your Facebook. Well, let's take yet... Another look at Joker. Arthur, does it help to have someone to talk to? My mother always tells me to smile and put on a happy face. She told me I had a purpose. To bring laughter and joy to the world. Is it just me? Or is it getting crazier out there? Smile, though your heart is aching, smile. Even though it's breaking When there are clouds In the sky You'll get by What? If you smile <laughs> To your fear and sorrow Smile And maybe tomorrow you <laughs> What's so funny? Just Freak! <laughs> Gotham has lost its way. What kind of coward would do something that cold-blooded? Someone who hides behind a mask. I used to think that. My life was a tragedy. But now I realize it's a comedy. 
I absolutely love that trailer. I figured you would, Russ. There is so much in that trailer. I, I mean, of course, I've watched this trailer. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how many times now, but the trailer is so cerebral and has so much depth to it. It's not like your typical comic book movie trailer. And I'm really impressed by Todd Phillips because Todd Phillips directed the hangover trilogy. Todd Phillips directed road trip. I mean, he, he has a history of just doing comedies, which in its own way, I mean, wow, like what a way to mature as a comedic movie director directing a movie called the Joker. I think I, I, I just, I'm really, I don't know. Oh, is someone at the door? Oh, could be. Oh, sounds like someone forgot to silence their phone. Ah, my bad. But anyway, I just absolutely um, loved everything I, I saw in here. I, I was a bit on the fence. Like, like I remember when we were breaking this news last year about how Joaquin Phoenix got cast as the Joker and both, I think both of us were very excited about that. I know I was definitely like, yes, like that is someone who I could totally see playing the role. And there, you know, up until this point, there really hasn't been any information. I mean, like, like there was like some, I don't know, some fan leaked footage, like, like, you know, amateur video while they were shooting certain scenes and stuff. But like, there really hasn't been any kind of marketing movement for this. And then this trailer comes out. I mean, it was everywhere when it came out the first day. I mean, I just couldn't, I I wasn't even looking for it and it just, it just blew up. I mean, people were very impressed by what they saw. It blew up, but it'd blow your mind. Mm, It did both. (laughs) What do you think? Uh, You know, I'm a bit torn. Um, Before when we were talking about it and looking at Joaquin Phoenix's picture on what he posted on Instagram and whatnot, back in the, you know, last year. I said this, he could either be very, very good or very, very not good at it. And so with the trailer, I'm not trying to track the wind out of your sails, Russ, but it, 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 I think the jury's still out. I'm a bit torn. Really? Yes. Why is that, Steve? Um, I, I With these villain um, origin stories... I don't know. It could go either way. I mean, it, it definitely looks dark, and it, I think it should be dark. It looks serious, and I think it should be serious. Uh, I mean, I'm not seeing too much of, like, the crazy. Like, the crazy seems almost forced. Forced crazy. But that could be all in the story, too. So, I don't know. I think they're they're intentionally holding that part back. Right, maybe. Because this is a character origin story. We're seeing... Um, their take on what perhaps the Joker could have been like before he snapped. And I think that's one of the things that I, th- that I think is so neat about the, the creative space when it applies to a character like this is that you have different takes. Like you have Tim Burton's take on how the Joker was created. You have um, just... You, you, if you look at the comic books, you have the killing joke, which was, you know, arguably one of the biggest issues or series within the, the Batman comics, where it really does explore a bit more of the Joker's life 
in a fashion where perhaps he was more of a normal person and something caused him to snap. Or if you look at Christopher Nolan's vision of the Joker, where like how he didn't really have any kind of um, ID or history or whatever, perhaps he was always this way. You know, like it was really, I don't know. I, it, it reminds me a lot of if you're at a campfire and you have a bunch of really talented storytellers who are sitting on logs around the campfire, and each one takes a turn with, with like the, the, the same kind of setup or synopsis and then kind of rolls with it in their own kind of way. And I feel like that's what's happening here. And especially looking at, at what Todd Phillips has done with this, you know, I, I think that there is going to be, if this is done correctly, I like, I have to say, I'm probably. After seeing this, I'm 85% confident that this movie is going to be probably on the level of the Christopher Nolan Batman films in terms of, of its approach, of its maturity, of like how it's not just like you don't have to explain away as like, oh, it's a comic book movie. But like instead, it's like, whoa, I mean, you really get the, you really get the, the impression in this trailer about how. This particular take shows that Joker is a byproduct of the cruelty in his environment. Right. And you see like all these stresses of life that are just compounding upon themselves and it creates the snowball effect to the point where all of a sudden you see how just there's a contrast there of like how utterly unhappy and everything he is. And he almost embraces this persona of Joker because it's like this twisted version of happiness. I don't know. Like, like there's, there's, there's just so much in there. Did you ever see the movie Taxi with uh, Robert De Niro? Yes. I feel like there are similarities in that in, in this trailer here that we just watched to that movie where like, you know, Robert De Niro plays a taxi cab driver. He plays just a very normal guy, but then through like his experiences of being a taxi cab driver and being ignored and having people constantly dismiss him and bully him and everything else, you know, by the end of that particular movie, I mean, he definitely embraces a much more edgier character and goes out and does something really extreme. And so I think that if that is the case, I think that's a very good film to be able to, to draw inspiration from. There you go. Steve, you're a man of many words. Well, Russ. It's nice to be able to pick your brain and be able to listen to you talk. Yeah, I know. At, uh, sometimes <laughs> when you're famished and starving after watching a movie and not eating anything from work, uh, you get a little quiet. Steve, it's called fasting. <laughs> yeah. It should be able to allow you to focus more on having some thought-provoking comments over there. Not for me, Russ. Here's Maybe for you, here, not for here's me. Here's an easy one for you, Steve. What did you think of the cinematography in the trailer? I, I thought it was fine. That didn't uh, do much to catch my eye. What? Yeah. Steve, that sigh is for you. That sigh right there. Hmm. That was some of the best cinematography I've seen in a while in a film. Like just the lighting. A film? Or I mean a trailer, Russ. Trailer, Steve. Okay. The film that was advertised via mm -hmm. the trailer. But no, like just if you look at those shots, I mean the, the lighting on it, the, the composition, the, the rack focuses that the camera is doing, there's just a lot for the eye to drink in. And I just, I love it. I love how Arkham is depicted too. Like just, it just feels like part of Gotham City. And Arkham, um, 
Actually, I don't know if they showed Arkham Asylum or not. I know they showed Gotham Hospital. Showed inside of the asylum, it looked like. Was it, though? <laughs> well, if someone was strapped to a gurney and his head was... <laughs> 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 oh, that must have been uh, back in the local memorial hospital. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, wrong type of hospital for that yeah. dude. Anyway... Like I said, I'm not 100% on board. I, I am, though, way more like just feeling confident on how this movie is going to turn out. I think that uh, once it gets closer, because it's supposed to come out this October. There you go. So if they come out with another film, another film, I'm sorry, another trailer, Steve, that actually has more Joaquin talking, I think that that's the thing. That's the clincher is I need to see certain scenes with Joaquin Phoenix actually saying some lines. This was great in the sense that this was a teaser and that I was able to get a really good feeling of just how he's embodying the soul of Joker. But I, see, I didn't get that. I, I just see him being bullied and I see him maybe getting towards a tipping point. Right. But I don't see, they don't give you any kind of hints of, oh man, this, this guy's going to, he's, he's over the edge. He's That's true. I, okay, a better word is transformation. We're, we, we witnessed a lot of the things that was causing the, the like you said, the tipping point to, to happen. But we didn't actually see a lot of like the mayhem and chaos that Joker is known for. So perhaps when, I mean, you know they're going to have another trailer that comes out maybe two months before, maybe like in August or something that uh, hopefully will show a bit more of what you're describing there. Yeah. Topic of the day, eh? this thing this is proof of authenticity super strength electricity manipulation hyper speed i'd like to purchase some of your finest beer please Sparkle fingers. No, it's not. It's not my. That's not my name. Chosen one. Oh, you're like a bad guy, right? You literally did the opposite of what a superhero is supposed to do. You're him. You're the hero. You're welcome for not getting robbed. My bad, bad. Get him back, man. 
How old are you? Basically 15. You electrocuted a bus and almost killed these people. And then I caught it! My name is... My name is... And leave tall buildings in a single bound. Our topic of the day is... Shazam! That is correct, Steve. Thank you. <laughs> it is a movie <laughs> review of Shazam, which has finally come out. I must say... At the very beginning of this whole entire thing, I was a little confused as to when the release date of Shazam was. Because for some reason, I thought it was coming out in March, but it was actually April. Mm. And I think there was some kind of like special engagement sneak preview night thingy. Because I actually had a couple of friends who did see Shazam in March. So basically, Russ, Fandango, I think you mentioned this earlier. They had a little giveaway. Uh-huh. Sort of thing. You could pre-purchase tickets like weeks in advance to, to go see uh, an early screening of the film. Mm. So you had to have Fandango. You had to be subscribed. Had to be one of their... Uh, Whoa, you sounded dudes. awfully Southern there for a moment. Mm, it, it comes out, Russ. It comes out. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Your inner redneck just wants to pop out and say howdy. My, my inner California white trasher. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. So, what we're going to do is uh, give our high-level thoughts, and then we will take the spoiler elevator down into our drill-down analysis of the movie itself. So, we're going to talk about it, and then really talk about it. That's right. High-level thoughts before the drill-down. So, Steve. What, Russ? What did you think of the movie? Well, uh, I, you know, I liked the movie. I came into it not expecting much. I mean, I don't think I laughed once during the entire trailer. Zzz. Whenever I saw the trailer, I'm thinking, ah, here we go again. Oh, yeah, just, okay, yeah, he's awkward kind of humor. Okay, you know, not really my thing. As a matter of fact, I think I said a few of those little sayings on the show. Uh-huh. So I went into it with, this is going to be probably a two, two and a half movie. You know, two and a half out of five, you know what I'm saying, man? Yeah, yeah. And we're not giving our ratings yet, by the way. I know. I've been in doing a couple of these things with you. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. <laughs> so, I mean, it was definitely fun. It was definitely lighthearted. It's definitely more of like your family-friendly sort of movie. At least that's what people have been saying. They're like, oh, yeah, I mean, you could bring your family to it. And I thought, well, you know, there's a lot of language in it. Right? More so than I would think for a comic book movie, you know, that's kind of fun and kitty mm-hmm. thing, you know, and mm-hmm. kinda, you know, I was kind of dismayed by that. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, I definitely had a good time with it. I'm glad they took it slower than usual. They didn't rush through it. They didn't, they didn't overwhelm you with a bunch of action and uh, make it imbalanced with not enough story. I think that was kind of the problem with, uh, with um, Waterboy. Aquaman, sorry. My bad. Anyway, uh, so... <laughs> I was going to say, the well, Waterboy, uh, there was an Adam Sandler movie called Waterboy. Yes, there was. I was like, I, was, I couldn't think of it fast enough. I could see Mimosa, but I couldn't see I couldn't see the name of the movie. Not gotcha, bad. gotcha. I could see Golden Scaled Pecs. Yes. But I couldn't see the name of the movie. Golden Fish Scaled Nipples. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, uh, anyway, my my thing, I, I, I like it. I, I thought it was good. I don't know if I'd see it again, but I, it's definitely fun. It's like Ant-Man level fun. And I think for the way DC was 
was heading. I think they maybe turned, not only about turned around, but definitely made a nice uh, sway towards the direction that they were going. Now they're going towards the direction that's good. And I think that's a smart move for DC. Mm-hmm. What about you? Uh, I enjoyed it as well. I thought it was a fun movie. I was walking into this just like you where um, I had no idea what to expect. I've never collected the Shazam comic. The probably the the closest thing to any kind of Shazam paraphernalia that I have acquired over the years is actually when I was at San Diego Comic Con. The Lego booth does this little thing periodically throughout the week where they will give away little minifigures. And this particular year, they were giving away different types, I believe, of DC. I think DC was kind of their, their ongoing theme. And I actually had one. I had one in, in the, the drawing, the Shazam minifigure. And I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking, I don't even, this is the first time I've heard of Shazam. What is this? So, um, of course, I have no emotional attachment to the character whatsoever. I end up placing it on uh, eBay that night. That thing sold, if I remember correctly, I believe it sold for about... million dollars. I think it was like 150 bucks. Nah. And we're talking a Lego minifigure, like the little ones that you put into like a spaceship or <laughs> a car. Like, yeah, I, got, I think I got like around 150 smackers for that little guy. Nah. So anyway, that was the first time I, I realized that there is a fan following for Shazam and there's actually one that's, that's quite popular. And so it was interesting to see this go on. Also, um, as, it, as it relates to SDCC, the first time I had actually uh, discovered or found out about Zachary Levi was actually also at SDCC because he runs the Nerd HQ, which I think I've talked about you on have. the program. Yes, yeah. Okay, well, just just to briefly recap, for those of you who don't know, Zachary actually has this. Um, uh, it's a nonprofit show that he does where he invites other celebrities onto this Nerd HQ show that that gets broadcasted from SDCC and um, all proceeds go to some sort of charity that they choose each year. And so it was a lot of fun. I mean, he, he was definitely a, a, a bright individual, someone who um, has a big heart and stuff. So um, that was kind of like my first exposure to just who Zachary Levi is. So fast forward to now and we have this movie come out and um, I enjoyed it. I think I definitely think that this is more of a lighthearted movie that comes from the DC staple, which is saying something because a lot of their films, whether it's like Wonder Woman or Batman or Superman, you know, they've been a lot more darker and, and serious in nature. A lot, and, a lot more darker, Russ. That's a double negative. That, oh, I'm sorry, Steve. You are absolutely correct. More better. That's more it's, better. Uh, it's uh, just darker. More dark. <laughs> more darkerist. It's it's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. I need my iPhone flashlight turned on when I'm in the DC staple kind of thing. There you go. But the movie itself, I mean, I, I was actually really impressed by Zach. I mean, I, I thought that he um, did a really nice job. I thought the movie itself, I think the movie was two hours. Is no, that I think it was over two hours. I think it was two hours and 40 minutes. If I'm not I don't kidding. remember exactly like how long the, the movie went, but I did as just a, a, a movie going viewer when I was sitting in the chair, I felt like, well, okay, like, like this, this definitely went on. I wouldn't want it to go on um, any longer than it did. So that was cool. And so uh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I, I think I'm like you. I, I don't know how many times I would actually see this movie. 
I may watch it a second time uh, with the wife because um, she may enjoy it. In fact, that's actually something that I've noticed is that a lot of the female moviegoers have really been loving this movie. They, they've been enjoying um, just everything that, that uh, the movie had to offer. So it's 132 minutes, just so you're aware. 132. Okay, so it's basically two hours and 12 minutes thereabouts. Yeah. If my math serves me correctly. Plus the 20 previews that they had beforehand. There you go. Oh, man, that, that, that part is... That's just brutal, man. Like, they, they, they've they got to cut back on the amount of trailers that they're showing before. Well, a movie. I mean, I, I, there are times where I'll forget, what movie am I here for again? And then it'll start. It's like, oh, yeah. I think it'd be one thing if they showed, like, good movies that are coming out, but all this junk. Yeah. That's on the way. Oh, man, just play the movie. I know what you mean. Well, let's get into our spoiler elevator here. Is it the spoiler elevator, or is it the... Uh we go into the, the, they're segueing into the lair, Russ. Well, that's what I'm hoping, Steve. I'm hoping that this elevator will take us. I, I do notice that the one window in the elevator is beginning to frost up. I can draw some symbols real quick and um, maybe that'll do it. You know, I, 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 I'd be entertained to watch you do that. Although it's going to deface the spoiler elevator by you doing so. Right. Well, I'll try and turn them into happy faces or something. Well, you know what we could do is etch in some tic-tac-toe. <laughs> yeah. <that would> be... <laughs> Cats game. <laughs> yeah. Well, I believe that lair has arrived. You've got to walk through the door. The door's going to shut. There's going to be no more door. I actually like that. That lair was kind of basic, though. I mean, everyone was excited at the end, going, ah, this is our lair. I'm like, yeah, looks like a cave. At least the bat cave had, like, water running and, like, gadgets and, and like, car, plane, motorcycle stuff. You know, Bruce Wayne style. This just kind of was like, yeah, there's thrones, statues, and some rocks. So we're now in the spoiler territory of the review here. And so if you haven't watched the movie, we definitely encourage you to pause the program. Unless you just don't care, then it's like, okay, fine. <laughs> just keep listening. So with this movie in mind, Steve, uh... Going more into Zachary Levi himself. So I thought he was actually one of the best parts of the whole movie. And I was surprised as to how animated he was. And just, again, I don't have any kind of background to base the Shazam character off of. So I don't know how accurate to form Zach was when he was portraying the character. But I mean, every time he delivered his lines, I mean, I, I was entertained. What would you think? He was almost more expressive than the kid he was representing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I, I mean, I like the idea too of how the, um, the kid was all of a sudden kind of like this more adult, uh, buff version of himself, which kind of reminded me of the movie big with Tom Hanks. Yeah. It reminded me a big, a lot, even with like, they were in that shopping mall and they started like tapping on the, the keys. I have a feeling that was intentional. I, I had to be intentional. Yeah. I, I think they were paying homage to the movie big. You know what? I don't know if this was was CG, but Zach has some really white teeth. 
Oh. Those were puppies were glowing in the movie theater. <laughs> I don't I don't know if that was CG so much as it was probably just a whole lot of usage of white strips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um it was fun. It, it was interesting too because like when it went back to the kid portion, I actually found myself being more bored. Right. Like there really wasn't as much charisma coming from the kid. I did think that it was interesting how there was this this approach of foster kid thing. But in terms of the kid himself, I was just kind of like, yeah, there, there's nothing really like that. He was nowhere near on the scale of like, uh, I don't know who the actor's name was, but the guy who played Elliot from E.T., you know, or Drew Barrymore's uh, character from E.T., that sort of thing. Those types of of child roles. I mean, you're just glued to the screen. You're just like, what is going to happen next? You feel for the character. There were instances where I felt bad. Like I would say when he, when he met his mom up again, I thought that was a pretty, uh, cold and, and harsh sequence where like, I felt bad for the kid, but at the same time, I didn't think it was acted to its fullest extent. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I hear you. Rose. I mean, if I was the kid, I'd be like, I wouldn't just leave like, oh, okay. Well, I'll be like, dude. Yeah. I was a I'm, kid. I'm 12 or however old he was, like 14, 15. And I sought you out, you know, riding the subway throughout the rest of my life, dodging the cops, living on the street. I find you. And then you don't care. You want nothing to do with me. Yeah. Which, I mean, she didn't. But yeah, I, I, if I was that kid, it would have been quite the big letdown. I would have probably had some more choice words to say. Yes. Yes, definitely. What did you think of um, the story overall? Well, let's not go into the story just yet. Let's oh, talk that's the about... the best part, Russ. Let's talk about Mark Strong being the supervillain. Yes, Mark Strong. I'm, I've always been a fan of Mark Strong. Yeah, I know you have. I enjoyed him in the uh, Sherlock Holmes mm -hmm. with Robert Downey Jr. I thought that, that he was he played a fine villain in that movie. Wasn't he also in Kick-Ass? He, yes, he yes, he was. Now. He was in Kick-Ass. He, yeah, he was really good in that as well. He was also in, um, oh, it's that British action comedy that had Samuel L. Jackson in it and uh, Kingsman. Kingsman. He was in Kingsman I as well. It. Yeah, no, he's he's fun to watch. Yes. I do think that his character uh, was a bit one-dimensional in this. I think that was the biggest issue I had with the movie was just it felt like it was more geared toward kids. Right. It didn't have as many adult-oriented themes that my mind could crunch on. Well, I mean, it didn't. It didn't. I mean, that the the whole thing with the kid finding out his mom, and his mom finally telling him, like, "Yeah, I saw you were there. You were lost, but I found you within a few minutes when you're with the cops." And I decided not. I mean, that's that's pretty deep, even for a, like a kid to to handle. But yeah, the rest of it was was pretty kiddy. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually really surprised that Digimon um, Hansu was in. Uh, he, of course, he plays the wizard, and uh, he he is finding his way into more and more comic right. book movies. He yeah. was in this one, wasn't he? In was um, in Marvel. He's in the Marvel universe. Yeah, well, yeah. He was in Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. um, he was also what was the other? We he was in. He Captain was in Captain Marvel. Marvel wasn't yeah, he? exactly. Yeah. So, and he's always a treat too. I always like he was seeing him he, on screen. He was different in this one. Yeah. Yeah. He, I, with, with all the, <laughs> the wizard hair, <laughs> old school style. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, it was fun as well. Um, 
Well, I mean, like in terms of the story, though, it was a bit different in the sense of like, you know, you see these, these two kids who through different life experiences uh, as they grow up. Well, actually, technically, as one of them grows up, you know, ends up being kind of the villain. And that it's unique, but it's not unique in the sense that we've that's kind of the tried and true formula of like, you know, oh, the kid has been abused and now he has lots of bitterness and hatred and he's just clever and smart enough to be able to become a threat to the world. So, but the dad, the dad of Rodney strong, uh, I'm sorry, Mark strong. (laughs) (laughs) That was a wine. I'm sorry. We need to get pick up (laughs) wine for dinner. It's driving me batty because the the actor who played his father, I've seen him in another movie and I cannot place it for the life of me. Only there was a website that was easy to remember that you could look up movies and actors. I know. Uh, Their entire filmography. Man. Anyway. I just don't know. Of course, I am on that that Uh, website uh, right now as we speak, but I have yet to find him. Well, here's the thing with uh, that with the kid who was ended up being the villain. I I, I kind of liked his story. I thought it went a little overboard, though. I mean, the kid ended up being very successful in his life. He was a doctor for crying out loud, making a bunch of money and helping people. And he had the trauma from his childhood that he could never get over. And I'm, so that's where it, it kind of lost me. But he wasn't like this super, super villain. The one just wanted to slaughter everybody just because he just basically wanted the power to get back at his, his dad and his brother. Yeah. And that's about it. It really doesn't go any further than that. I think he, <clears throat> the story they doesn't, doesn't show him getting pushed around or bullied or, uh, you know, being taken advantage of being oppressed, anything like that. So he, he really just wanted this power to get back at his brother and his dad. And after that, who knows? Yeah. What did you think of the the seven sins? Eh, they were okay. They're kind of cartoony. Um, I mean, I, I think that's. Oh my gosh! I figured it out. Okay, I'll hold my thought. The actor, his name is John Glover. He was in Batman and Robin. He was the scientist that, like. Um, I think he was working with Pamela Isley of who, uh, of course was poison Ivy. And I think he was one of like the first people to like fall victim to like her toxin or whatever. Like, I think, um, I think like she kissed him or something and he keeled over or something to that effect here. I'm, I'm going to just, I'm going to make sure I'm, I found his, his IMDB profile. I'm going to go back down to 1997, <clears throat> which I believe was the year oh, that this man. movie came out. And uh, there it is, Batman and Robin, Dr. Jason Woodrow. Oh, yeah. That's uh, a character I would have definitely remember. Right. <laughs> that movie was so awful, dude. It was so bad. But his face, I'm like, look, I'm like, man, I've seen this guy somewhere before. And now I know. Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> if I can remember where I left off, uh, seven deadly sins. Right, seven deadly sins. I think that I don't know. I, I never like I like you. I never really read the comics, so I think the name is pretty generic. Um, the names versus how they looked 
were kind of it didn't represent yeah. anything. It was just like a name. I do feel that like the art direction on the characters was weak. Yeah, I'm just looking at them as like okay, these are like nondescript demon esque looking creatures. They almost look like just claymation. Like, and if this movie came out 30, 40 years ago, it would. They look like CG versions of what claymation models would have been. Well, and so they, the way they move around is like they, they kind of go poof and they have this kind of smoke trail thing that they're doing, which is right out of Harry Potter's playbook. I mean, right. if you watched any of the Harry Potters, a lot of the, the evil creatures, evil wizards, uh, you know, witches, that sort of thing. That's how they kind of moved around and, um, <laughs> honestly, they were, they were probably using a 3d plugin called Krakatoa, which is really good. Um, but just, yeah, just anyway, you know, <laughs> Sorry. just a little technical <laughs> trivia there for you, Steve. Uh, but anyway, looking at how they approach the art direction of these characters, I think it was a misfire. I think it was, it was a missed opportunity because, um, the first time I had ever really heard of like the seven deadly sins was from the movie seven, which of course is one of my all time favorite movies. It was, it was just a oh, triumph of cinema in that movie. But of course you don't have any kind of supernatural fantasy oriented creatures that represent those sins. It was literally like you have a serial killer that was acting out right. different types of murders that, you know, had to do with each one of those seven sins. So like when they first, you know, they, when they first started talking about it in Shazam, it caused me to get excited because I was thinking, oh, I can't wait to see what these creatures are going to look like because, man, the sky is the limit in terms of like how you want these, these creatures to look. And then when you saw them, you're like, wait, there's nothing about these creatures other than maybe I would say gluttony um, had kind of a, a look to it that, yeah, I could get there. Like, like, yeah, it looks like something that, that would be representative of gluttony itself. But all the other characters and creatures, you know, I'm just like, ah, they just, they're, they're just there generic. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not like anything that, that would like, I, like if I were to look at any one of them, I would be like, Oh, that's, that's totally wrath. Oh, that's, that's totally sloth. And I think somebody mentioned that in the movie. I think maybe it was, um, Shazam. I was looking for her lust and I thought she'd be hot and she's just, you know. And actually that was one of my favorite lines of the movie just because um, that is what people would expect is like lust to be like some hot. He's like, Drew, and believe me, I was expecting that. That was not what I was expecting. Like, like that was actually one of my favorite lines of the, of the whole movie. But having said that, I still would have, I think that, that those creatures would have had way more on-screen presence than they did. Because again, I mean, they came across as kind of bumbling. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like, like, like they got the job done, but they weren't especially, I don't know. Like I, I didn't feel any kind of sense of dread coming from these creatures. Well, neither did anybody else. I mean, when those creatures were on screen, if you saw those creatures, you'd be terrified. Yes. And everybody was like, Oh, um, yeah, we need to sit still. Cause um, there's something in front of us, you know, but no one looked terrified. Yeah. That was one of the biggest issues I had with the actors in this movie was that you could tell that their CG pretending chops were just not up to par with some of the other folks that we've seen over the last like 20 to 30 years. And it makes sense because a lot of the actors in this movie I've never seen before. I'm like, yeah, I've never seen any, any of these people. So 
anyway, that, that was, um, a gripe that I did have. I, I really did want to see more of that. And also too, I mean, the, you know, if you think of a sin itself, I mean, a sin is a very deadly thing. And I think that if you trivialize it, then it's, you know, it, it just doesn't match up with the sin itself. And so it would have been, um, to, in my opinion, it would have been nice to have seen a bit more thoughtfulness placed on these characters in a way that where they, they're able to personify, be a visual metaphor for the sins that they supposedly are. Yeah, the only thing that happened, and it didn't represent the character it was, but he did speak to that at the end where he was talking about envy. And the whole reason that the villain was going after was basically because he was, that's just how we need to say it from now on. Yeah. <laughs> was because he was envious of his power. I mean, from the get go, the demons were saying, okay, yeah, you're strong. You have this power, but you need to quickly take this other guy out because he, we all know he's more right. powerful than, than all of us combined. Yeah. There were certain um, scenes that definitely remind me of the matrix, you know, with how Mark strong was dressed and then they were flying and punching each other through um, yeah. the city at night and stuff. It definitely made me think of um, not matrix reloaded, but matrix revolutions. Right. With the whole uh, agent Smith and Neo thing. <laughs> but I did like the family though. I thought that the foster family was a unique approach to kind of the safe haven of the various protagonists. And I liked the idea too, of how there were other kids who were foster kids. That was a, to me that that was actually one of the more stronger um, aspects to, to the film that mm. we really haven't seen in other comic book movies. Yeah, no, I think that was a, the, a great storytelling move, but <laughs> I have two things to say about that. Rose. Yes. Number one. Numero uno. Is in the beginning of the movie, they're, the wizard is looking for somebody who's pure of heart to basically transfer and, and take over the mantle, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, pass the torch because the dude's dying. And you're telling me that throughout the ages, he couldn't find anybody. And, well, the, he did find many people who didn't stack up. And uh, was the character's name Billy, the main character? I think so. So he, he finds Billy and just basically hopes it's going to work out. You know, I mean, the kid's <laughs> running away. He's stealing. He's not, I mean, he, he's just kind of like your average kid, but maybe more so um, not on the highest moral level on the totem pole, right? But then you have these foster parents and you have the kids within the foster family and any of them all together <laughs> could have taken up the torch. I mean, the, the two parents were probably the warmest people on the planet. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you were a foster parent, that's the kind of family you want to go for. I mean, who are going to love you endlessly, right. want to raise you right, put food on the table, clothes on your back, send you to school, just want the best for you. I mean, my goodness. All of his brothers and sisters, you know, I mean, the little girl who just was going to hug him every day. Mm -hmm. Dude, I mean, come on. But my second thing in Rod. Numero dos. Numero dos. Is towards the end, you know, Shazam. Shazam! Um, <laughs> <laughs> See, they need to dub me in the next when they yeah. release the uh, Blu-ray. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Shazam! Yeah, I'm just going to say it like a yeah. yeah. Here's the theatrical version. Here's the Stevovich version. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> anyway, he, he took like weeks to figure out how to use his powers. Right? He didn't even know what he could do. And then when he makes the entire family share his power, 
They're all like, okay, cool. We can fly. We can, we can, uh, we can move fast. We can kick. We have super strength. <laughs> hey, you know, everyone just kind of figured it out. I'm like, ah, you know, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. So I had some thoughts that piggyback onto your thoughts, Steve. The whole pure of heart thing, I could, all I could think about was how people are born into sin. How there is no one who is 100% pure of heart. I think that there are people who have good intentions. <laughs> I think that there are people who um, mean well. But they do, they, you know, if you were to actually analyze like, who here among you are pure of heart? Well, that would be Jesus. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, he's not taking a physical form anytime soon uh, when this movie was made. So, um, yeah. But the other thing, and this is kind of a, a bit of a, um, well, how do I explain it? A missed opportunity of sorts. When it came to the music itself, I was totally wanting to hear ACDC Thunderstruck. Yes. Yeah. Especially. There you go. I don't even know the words. Anyway, uh, <laughs> had I known the words, I would have done the whole thing. So, but yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, I totally agree. I, there were times when the music was starting to pick up a bit, and I thought, okay, we're going to get something, huh, Danny Elfman? No, 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 no. Not was Danny. it composed by Danny Elfman? I don't even think it was. I, I was looking for his name, but I didn't see it. I'll, okay. I'll look it up. But um, but yeah, especially since this movie was kind of geared more towards maybe the, the Guardians of the Galaxy crowd a little bit, sort of. Kinda. Maybe maybe not so much with the music, I think but Ant-Man with the humor. is more like what you're talking about. Ant-Man is more, I think, this this pace. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Well, I did I, think not, that there were yeah. there were parts of the, of the soundtrack that I, I thought were really good. I didn't think that it was on the level of like the Batman you know, yeah, theme no. or anything like that. But I, I still, you know, there were parts where I found myself thinking, oh, okay. Yeah, I like that. That sounds good. But I did. I really, especially during the, the last fight sequence where um, Zach all of a sudden turns around and he's um, gaining more of his courage and he wants to, to take care of this once and for all. I was just praying for some Thunderstruck, but yeah. Uh, Looks like I'll have to wait for the sequel. You know, you mentioned the fighting, Rush. There wasn't really that much fighting. Let's be real. And and that's actually, that's a very good point, is I wanted to see some kind of kick-assery that never really took place. Like, there, I, I get it that he's still trying to learn his powers and he's still trying to figure stuff out. But yeah, that was kind of a a letdown was like that there really wasn't some kind of big uh, brawl of, of sorts. I wanted to see some kind of WWF. Yeah. Uh, and you'd think with him talking with his brother that had the, the crutch and all the superheroes, I mean, they know Superman for crying out loud. He, they're, they're, he knows there's a lot of possibilities, right? You'd think he'd just be throwing lightning here and there everywhere and just doing, I mean, maybe he didn't have a fighting style per se, but you would, figure he would do something massive. My thing is, is I appreciated some of the humor that was in this particular film because it makes a lot of sense having this kid who's probably, it looks like he's like 13, 14 years old. And he all of a sudden becomes imbued with all these powers and stuff. And it's just, you know, I appreciated kind of the fun they were having with it. However, moving forward, if he has a, um, 
uh, a sequel or or if Shazam comes into any of the other types of DC movies as a cameo, I want there to be a much more serious tone. I want to see some stuff, especially because, I mean, hey, I play Injustice 2. I've played Shazam on that. I know the man's got moves. And so, yeah, I mean, if you want to keep some of the humor in there, that's okay. He's got moves to the tunes. That's right. That's right. That didn't really rhyme. That rhymed more <clears throat> in my head than it did out loud. Anyway, go ahead. That's okay, Steve. That's all right. Now, um, one of the, the big pluses to me in this movie was the ecosystem of DC. And we have talked about this time and time again on the show, which is the fact that, that DC as a world is still trying to find its voice. It's still trying to find its place um, on the silver screen, as opposed to Marvel, which has completely done a stellar job in creating this, this overarching storyline that wraps and weaves around all the individual storylines of the various films. I mean, you do like the, the independent films and then you have the, the team coming together film and you rinse and repeat that over and over and over. It just works. DC of course has been struggling with that. However, with Shazam, I am actually really excited about how this movie has in my mind, in my opinion, been more successful in creating and cultivating a DC world. Like I really enjoyed how when he's being pursued by um, the supervillain, you know, like, like he comes across like a toy Batman and he throws the Batman at him and that sort of thing. Like, like there are little nods like that, that go are going on that are making it more and more of this realized world that extends beyond just this one character that we're seeing in front of us. And of course, you know, pushing it to the very end when all of a sudden, like one of my favorite scenes also was like out of nowhere, we see Superman come to the school. That was the perfect way to end that movie. It was super, super cool for them to do that. And once again, it's embracing the idea that there are all these other crazy, amazing characters that exist in this world of DC. Did you pick up on that much when we were watching the movie? Oh, so dude. You didn't even mention the battering. Yes, the battering was another one. I mean, like, like all these little things that they, and, and I'm sure there, there were Easter eggs that we missed. Plus in the credits, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But that made me excited, though, because it finally spoke to me about how they are getting it. They're finally getting it to where, like, okay, look, we've got to incorporate these different things. Because for a while now, we've had several DC films coming out where it's like it's like this little, like, oh, it's a one-off. It's a spinoff of this own thing. Like, oh, we have Suicide Squad. But there's nothing, I mean, like, like yeah, they kind of sort of had Ben Affleck have one little scene that he jumps in and he's a silhouette. No, that doesn't work. There needs to be a cohesive, ongoing approach to how they flesh this DC world out. Because, hey, guess what? DC is an awesome place to hang out in. I have been collecting DC comics for a while. Like, I really do enjoy the world that DC has. It's, it's, just, it's very distinctly different from Marvel. And for the longest time, we just have not seen this really successfully take form. And I just hope that moving forward from here, there's, there's more and more of this build out. 
So I was very excited to be able to get to this particular little point. Yeah. This little pointy point. Well, it's, it's about time they started taking things a little bit seriously, too, because a lot, I mean, even, you know, Justice League, we're not going to get into it, but Justice League's basically sucked. You know, it Superman was okay. and Batman versus... I, I wouldn't say... Uh, Batman versus Superman sucked, but I wouldn't say Justice League was okay. I think the villain, if the villain was more memorable, it would have been good. But I do think that the chemistry between the characters, except for Ben Affleck, was pretty decent. Yeah, I mean, I think they already... Uh, what, what's the what's the mechanical dude's name? He, he's uh, Cyborg. Uh-huh. I think they already canceled his movie. They were, I think they were going to bring out a movie and they canceled that. So I don't even know if he's going to be coming back or they're just going to replace him with somebody else. The latest Batman was terrible. Um, you know, the... super. I mean, I have... Batman versus Superman on my Netflix list because I figured I should see it. I'm not looking forward to it. Really not wait, looking wait, forward you have to Batman it. versus Superman on your Netflix? Yeah. No, well, not streaming, but yes, it's coming in the mail. Oh, why would That's, you do that? I think I said it before and I keep putting it off. And I think the last time I said it, you said the exact same thing. The exact same way. Oh, <laughs> it just pains me. But yeah, it, you know, so, so anyway, if you were to think of the way DC has been driving, I would think they, they were driving the way Harley Quinn would drive behind the wheel, just laughing all over the road. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where are you going? You guys have a destination. Yeah, they, they, there needs to be a very strong direction. And like I said, you it just it's imperative that you tie everything together because then you have viewer engagement, you have emotional attachment to all these characters, and that's exactly what the MCU's been doing. All right. So, anyway, uh, the special effects, I thought, were actually pretty good. I, I liked how that there wasn't, like, an overuse of special effects, but I, I certainly loved how, like, when he had to, like, dash over somewhere, I really liked how the streaks looked. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was cool. And I liked, too, like, just how there was more, like, when he was learning his skills, when he did that jump, where he was trying to leap over a, a building in a single bound, Superman style, how he, like, he, he burst into, like, I don't know, the 23rd floor or whatever. Um, that was realistic. I, I mean, I bought it. I was like, man, that's, that's actually really funny. Um, the bus sequence too, when the bus came down, you know, they're again, they downplayed <laughs> a lot of what was going on, which I appreciated. I, I didn't think that this movie needed to have like this overabundance of visual effects. I would say if I had to critique it, um, areas that I thought were weak, like what we've already talked about, I think the, the seven deadly sin creatures could have been done better. I do, I do feel like like they, you know, they, they looked good for what they were, but I just think that, that had they actually been more well thought out, they would have been very much um, commanding of screen presence. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, I mean, the special effects were, were fine. I, I, w I wouldn't want them... Um, I, I, how should I say this? <laughs> uh, I would, they were basically what I would have expected. If there were anything more, I'd be you know impressed. But the way they were, it wasn't like, oh, this is awesome. But it uh, it wasn't. I don't know. It was fine the way it was. There was some stuff that was cool. There was nothing that was really getting me off my seat. Going, oh, why did you see that? I'd slap you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I need to do research on just how Shazam. How nice! How Shazam uh, exists in the DC world because apparently he's like 
super powerful. Russ, I, I think he might be on. He may be close to Superman in terms of just what. Yeah, he's capable of and where his power. Yeah, I would say he's below Superman right now. I don't know my DC. Okay, I don't know about DC. Okay, I am gonna go on a, a limb here. Hopefully, it doesn't crack. Yeah. But I'm gonna say he's below Superman, Russ. I'm gonna say now. I don't know the villains. I thought Black. I don't know if Black Adam is a uh, is a villain or he's a good guy or he's a villain then turns good guy. I don't know. Right? I, you know, I wasn't in the scene, but I think he, Black Adam and and are pretty much mono e mono. Hmm. Well, it's difficult to know for sure, Steve. I mean, if I were to do a quick Google search, it says that. Uh, you know, Superman easily outmatches Hercules. Mm. So we know that he's stronger than Captain Marvel in a physical regard. Uh, let me see. Here. How much can he squat? <sighs> <laughs> yeah, th this stuff is getting. I'd, I'd have to. Oh man, it looks. Let's see here. Yeah, okay. Okay. Superman is faster, stronger, and more durable. Oh! The magic that Shazam can dish out isn't even remotely powerful enough to hurt Superman. See, Ross? Contrary to a popular belief, Superman is not weak against magic. He is more durable than most characters around yes. his power levels in DC. Now, again, I don't know how accurate this is, so please do not crucify me on social media because I'm literally just reading what I have found here on my Google search results. So I'll just do that anyway. Right? Yeah, okay. You're going to put some up on social media and be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> You're stupid. <laughs> Nothing quite like a sibling to bring you down a notch or two. It's almost like it's part of the criteria. Yeah. Prerequisite, even. There you go. Well, Steve, did you have any final thoughts about Shazam? No. Um, I am curious where they're going to go with it. Um, but I, I hope they don't release a sequel too soon because I think we're, we'd be too shazammed out if that would be the case. Um, I, I thought the movie, like I said in the beginning, was better once I saw it than the trailer made it out to be. Uh -huh. I think it did have its issues. I think that uh, they kind of slapped some stuff in there with the arc of the villain, the arc of the, the main character. Um the way they, they figured out who was going to be Shazam and the way Shazam <laughs> made all of his you know, foster buddies, uh, you know, have all these powers that they all knew how to use from the get-go. I don't know, kind of... Anyway, all together, it worked, but it just didn't work well enough to get a really high rating for me. Uh -huh. But all in all, it was fun and funny and a good direction for DC to take. Encouraging. Well, good. And, well, and, and what, what rating would you give it, Steve? I'd give it a three. Three out of five. Three out of five. All right. Well, I have uh, a very similar outlook to you. I think that it, I didn't know what to expect going into this. Like I said at the beginning of the show, I have never read a Shazam comic book in my life. And so um, it was actually, you know, I kind of like that. I like that approach of not knowing 
as opposed to knowing all there is to know about the comic book character I'm about to watch on the silver screen. I thought that Zachary Levi did a great job. Honestly, I have no, I don't think I've ever seen him in a, a movie before, and so it was nice to see what he was capable of. I thought that he really brought an exuberant energy to the character that, that was just infectious. It was a lot of fun to be able to listen to him uh, go through his lines, and his, I thought his del- delivery was great. Of course, Mark Strong is always a pleasure to watch on screen as well. Um, you know, the visual effects, like I said, they they served what they needed to do. I think that the storyline itself was a bit kind of the, your, your standard um, kind of predictable hero's journey kind of thing. So I was thankful that they took the time they did to tell the story though. They didn't do it. Like, like I said, in the beginning, they didn't over abundantly give us a ton of action and be like, okay, here's your super movie, your, your superhero movie here, you know, a bunch of butts being kicked. And then by the way, here's some story. They did take their time, which I was appreciative. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that, that it was nice. I didn't like the idea. Like for instance, the, the, the transportation of, children who were being whisked away over to the, the secret lair of the wizard to be able to be tested, that sort of thing. I did really like that. I liked um, the process that would take place that would cause them to all of a sudden almost be transported to this other dimension or something like that. That was super cool. And honestly, I, I want to see more of that. I want to see in, in um, you know, if they, if they end up making a sequel or if Shazam is in, um, I don't know, a different comic book movie, is there more to that? Because obviously it's a wizard oriented thing. I mean, like when the wizard transferred the powers over to this kid, it effectively made a kid basically like a wizard. I mean, the wizard has magic. So let's see more of that. What else can you do? Here's open to you. <laughs> there you go. We'll just have to see. But yeah, I too, I, I would say I give this movie three out of five stars. Like I said, I enjoyed it. I liked it. It's not going to be a film that I'm going to be watching tons of times, but I, I mean, I could see myself watching it um, another one or two times in the near future just to be able to enjoy um, you know, what what is in fact there. So um, yeah. Anyway, that wraps up this episode of Joy Gaz. Make sure you tune in next week. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm and consider becoming a monthly contributor. You'll get exclusive perks and early access to the show, not to mention it really helps us continue doing what we love to do. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. In addition to iTunes and Android, you can listen to our podcast on TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Spotify, and and of course, soundcloud.com slash joygasmtv. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We will see you next week. Shazam! Shazam!